Hello and welcome to a counterpressed special episode. I'm joined by producer Becky as always and also Jesse Parker Humphreys. We thought we'd make a bit of a, a habit of doing these specials throughout the season and we thought there's no better place to start than with one of the most talked about issues in the women's game right now, ACL injuries, of course. We're going to be talking about the epidemic, it seems, in the women's game because in the space of just a couple of weeks, we had Viviana Miedemar and Beth Mead tearing their ACLs and they're just a few of the big names that have suffered that injury over the past year. Alexia Pateas, Katerina Macario, Kristen Press. There's been a lot of big names that have had this injury. In fact, Sokodona actually uh, crunched some numbers on this and they claim that 57 players in the top six leagues tore their ACL in 2022 and five of those players are in the top 20 of the Ballon d'Or list. So it's certainly a conversation that is dominating the news at the moment in the women's game. It's also led to so many questions about what is causing these injuries and how teams might be able to prevent it. We've already discussed this topic on the pod this season. We've had lots of back and forth about what we think, some of the research that's out there, and also getting the perspective of the players on our show. But we thought we really need to get some actual experts in this topic area to come on and shed some light. I'm excited to say that we have Dr. Steph Cohen, a human geographer and researcher at the University of Nottingham, and Joanne Parsons, a professor and physical therapist from the University of Manitoba, also coming on. They've researched recently authored a paper all about bringing a gendered environmental approach to looking at these injuries and considering the ways that past research has failed to tackle the injury crisis in women's sport. What does that mean, I hear you ask? Well, don't worry, we're going to find out. Steph, Joanne, thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, it's really great to have your expertise. And I, I know that you've been doing a lot of work around this issue. Uh, and uh, obviously, I'm sure you've probably been called upon a little bit as well um, because of the big news in women's football at the moment with all these injuries. Um, I'm going to mention your paper specifically a little bit later and get Becky as well to drop it in the show notes because it's actually free to download at the moment if if anyone wants to kind of read more in depth about your work but I thought it'd be good first of all to for you to both kind of maybe give us a little bit of background about who you are and also how you came to focus on on this on this area I guess um who's best to really kick off I don't know Sure, sure. I could start because I was a bit of the instigator of this. Um, so I'm a physiotherapist uh, by training and then also have my PhD as well. So I come from a clinical background. And so I've done lots and lots of reading over the years um, about ACL injuries and sports injuries. It's always been my area of interest is, is uh, prevention of sports injuries. And um, over the years that, you know, I read all these articles and what started to strike me is the the um, repetitive um, focus on biological reasons for injury. So almost like a blaming of uh, girls and women's biology as being a cause of injury. And it just kind of started to get to me and irritate me and maybe a little bit. And so, um, you know, these kind of thoughts about how the gendered processes um, or environmental processes kind of affect um, our risk uh, started coming into my mind. And I saw Steph, um, I met her through Twitter, actually. It's a it's a very um, uh, 2022. Um, yeah. We still haven't story, met in person, so. Uh, <laughs> we, wow, no. proper pen yeah. pals then. Exactly. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, I met her through Twitter and she, uh, hers, her expertise was exactly what I needed to bring this all together and, and the paper was a result. So I'll let uh, Steph kind of take it from here. Yeah, so I operate from a pretty different perspective from Joanne. So I'm a health geographer. Um, so my interest is in how our environments influence participation in physical activity and particularly the gender gap in physical activity. How is that gender gap shaped by our environment. So um, in my PhD research, I actually looked at the role of our everyday kind of fitness gym in shaping this gendering of physical activity and, and the gendered ways that we participate. Um, so some of those ideas resonated with Joanne and she was like, oh, I've been kind of thinking about these effects of gender, but how that might play a role in um, ACL injury risk. And so we sort of brought my kind of social science perspective and social theoretical perspective in thinking about um, gender in that way, together with Joanne's clinical perspective. Um, and then our colleague, Cherie Becker, um, who's also a social scientist focused on sports injury. Um, and we sort of came together as this triad uh, to try to think about how can we move beyond biology to start asking new questions that might help us move closer to some solutions to see some meaningful gains in reducing this injury um, disparity between um, women and girls, boys and men, um, because it's quite a stark disparity. Um, and it hasn't really changed in a really long time, despite um, a ton of work in this area. Yeah, I mean, that's the perfect place to start, really, because I know your research isn't exclusively around women's footballers, but obviously that's kind of where we're coming from. And also a lot of the news at the moment is kind of dominated around those injury. And understandably, people want answers because as humans, we like to have solutions for problems. And I think everyone's getting a bit frustrated because their favourite players are getting injured and it's obviously heartbreaking um, for everyone involved. And, you know, I know you guys start the whole paper and by referencing the sort of the stat, which changes a little bit, but on average, it's three to six more times likely that a woman is going to injure their ACL the, than a man. So let's kind of start from that base point. And like you said, Steph, it, there has been lots of work in this area over the years. And I think certainly in the UK, I think it first really cropped up maybe in 2019 when Jordan Nobbs and the England women's national team ruptured her ACL. And um, she referenced, you know, her cycle in that pay, in that in the interviews afterwards. And I think there was a lot of talk about research had looked at the menstrual cycle, research had looked at women's hormone levels and women's bodies and and people obviously trying to look to that at, as the answer. But I mean, share with us now what information there actually is in terms of women's physiology and, and what role that might play. And then we'll kind of get on to where you guys are now and where you've taken it. Yeah, I mean, you're right in that people want the answer, right? They, they want a black and white, what is causing this? And and there is no simple answer, unfortunately. Um, if there was, uh, we would we would be implementing it and preventing these injuries. The way I like to describe it often is to picture, um, you know, a bunch of circles. And in those circles are different risk factors. So it could be, one could be hormones, one could be anatomy. Others could be training age, um, fatigue levels, uh, muscle strength, muscle imbalances, all those different circles. And then joining them are arrows and the arrows go in every which way. And on any given day for any given athlete, those 
uh, different circles are more important on different days. And so on one day, fatigue is a more important factor than hormonal cycle, for instance. And so that plays a bigger part. And so this, there's this complex web of risk factors that on any given day for any given athlete can change. And that's the complexity and the challenge of it. And that's why there really is no, there is no answer as to this is what causes it. The flip side of that is that we do know fairly well how to prevent them. There's good exercise prevention programs out there that will decrease injury risk by up to 60%. So we need to encourage that more, make sure that athletes are using those programs more, um, but for lots of reasons, they're not implemented. You know, they're increased time and coaches don't want to use the time for that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so that's the complexity. Unfortunately, there's no easy answer. So where have you guys sort of taken that initial foundation um, and said, right, okay, let's move beyond that now. And let's, let's look at other factors that might be causing some of these injuries in women that aren't necessarily just the physiological. I mean, I think there's a number of sort of starting places that we came to and just thinking that the current kind of paradigm, this sort of sex-based biological paradigm, um, well, one hasn't given us any meaningful change so far in, in practice, um, in changing the disparity. Um, and two, um, unfortunately, it can also um, perpetuate some sort of sexist discourses that women's bodies aren't, you know, quote, naturally fit for sport. Um, and so then we sort of wanted to start to think about how could we conceptualize some other ways to approach this question um, that might open up new areas of investigation, um, new lines of questioning that could maybe intervene in the systems and structures and conditions, conditions surrounding um, women's and girls' sport and try to move away from the individual body as a point of intervention. So the starting point for us was kind of the current paradigm has um, created um, an immense amount of knowledge and certainly has generated useful science, um, but maybe it's not sufficiently explanatory for moving us towards research and interventions that can change the injury gap. And what are some of those conditions as well that you guys have, have found that, that could be a factor? I was going to uh, just tag on to what Steph was saying there and that traditionally ACL injury risk has been looked at kind of through an intrinsic and extrinsic lens. So intrinsic to the athlete. So things like muscle strength, uh, muscle imbalances, um, proprioception ability, those kinds of things have always been thought of as intrinsic to the athlete. So you just need to get stronger and you're fine or girls and women are weaker than men. Uh, so you need to fix that. But what we're proposing is that those, those risk factors that have always been considered intrinsic and really up to the athlete or the individual to change have a huge extrinsic influence. So specifically with the weight room, both Steph and I have done previous work in this, in this realm is that girls and women often don't feel as comfortable in those spaces as boys and men do. They're not encouraged to lift weights as early as boys uh, are. Um, they're not encouraged to lift as heavy as, as boys are. Um, it's not as socially acceptable for, for girls and women to, you know, build muscle bulk. So there's a lot of external societal influence on these 
what have been termed before intrinsic factors. And so that's just one example, but there's, if you look through the list in our paper of all these intrinsic factors, you can pretty much for all of them come up with some sort of plausible extrinsic influence. And that's what we're suggesting we need to start focusing um, or including at least in the thought process rather than just thinking of it as either or, it's probably both. So we need to start thinking of, of, along those lines. Yeah, Jesse, I know it's something we've talked about um, like on the show and, and between us around, you know, we can't just pinpoint one thing. And when you look at women's football specifically as well and women's sport, but, you know, in our little women's football bubble, there's so much you can say that is under-resourced that it also makes a lot of sense to think this could be a big factor, right? When you look at academies, you know, even from a young age or even at the highest level where we still know a lot of players feel like they're not getting the number of resources that they need. Yeah, and I think that's what makes it such a, a complicated issue because of what you said earlier, Flo, that everyone wants it to be like, we could come up with a special boot that fit women's feet whatever that means. Um, and that would stop everyone getting an ACL. And that would be a really great solution. But as you know, Joanna Steph touched on, if that was kind of going to happen, you kind of feel like it would already be happening. And I know these like versions of these things exist, but the, the spate of ACL injuries within the women's game has touched the athletes at the very highest levels, right? We're not talking, and, I, and I've read some ACL research in, in the past, which says actually, you know, normally if you're playing kind of amateur sport, you're much more likely to do your ACL than, than if you're doing professional sport and that kind of thing. But but we're talking about Viviana Miedemar, Beth Mead, Alexia Pateas, you know, players who we consider the top 10 footballers in the world who are playing at the best clubs in the world. And that's why I also think where Joanne and Steph's work is, is really interesting in that sense, because it kind of goes some way to explaining why maybe clubs can't just necessarily fix this with a suddenly amazing medical program, for example, because we know Arsenal, for example, have put a lot more investment in that than they have in the past in recent seasons, but this is still clearly clearly happening there. And I think the real benefit of, of Joanne and Steph's work around this stuff is to suggest, you know, that we do live in a gendered world and you can have all of this, you know, tech or medical equipment. But if, say, people within those clubs or even the players themselves still see and understand themselves within this gendered lens within football, they may be creating greater risk factors for themselves um, that perhaps wouldn't exist if they were men. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's really the key thrust of our model is that we need to understand how these gendered environmental factors um, play out materially on the body and shaping things in ways that um, kind of may create the conditions for ACL injury risk in women and girls rather than women's bodies being inherently risky. Those conditions start early, right? They start as soon as we're born. And we talk about that in our paper is that the, we enter a gendered world. And so um, we're exposed to different activities. We're expected to do different types of sports and activities um, as soon as we're born. And, and so when you think about, uh, you know, training age for, a, for an elite athlete and you think about uh, comparing a, a, a woman and a, and a man, uh, elite soccer athlete, football athlete, sorry, um, you, you have to kind of look back and think you can't compare them as apples and apples at that level because where did they 
come from? What was their development like through the sport? What resources did they have access to? Um, so yeah, it starts early. It needs to start early. Our interventions need to start early, um, but we also need to look at the earlier um, stages of athletes' lives to see what, what influences could have been in play right from the start. And you mentioned kind of some of the conditions that could have a factor like the the weight room and things like that. But what are some of the interventions that you would suggest? And, you know, at what point do they necessarily need to come into play in the development of the women's game? Obviously, there's, you know, a, a, a need to do it right now because of, you know, a bit of a crisis in the sport. But but what would you say, you know, out of your recommendations is is something that the sport could be looking at doing? Yeah, I think that first of all, I think that um, using these exercise-based prevention programs that we know work, so having a closer look at those, um, teams having a closer look at those and making sure that they're implementing um, programs that have the components that are needed for uh, for injury prevention. So they need strength, um, muscle strength, proprioception is probably pretty important too. The other thing though, I think, and I, and I think is probably fed into this crisis that we're having right now is the absolute explosion of the women's of the women's game right there's more traveling there's more games they're um they're playing just more and so that volume of training and the expectations on them um needs to be looked at more there is some evidence and there is some research on um uh, you know, volume of training and how that might affect injury risk as well as fatigue levels. But I think there's there is more work to do there. Um, and until that work is done, I, I I feel like there needs to be a bit of caution on continually ramping up the expectations of the women's game until we know what the consequences could be. I'd also just add that I think. You know, I think the resource issue is is a key piece as well. But I think um, even at the most elite levels, I'm just thinking of a recent example. We saw Joanne remember the new gym for the Matildas, the national team in Australia. That was supposed to be a kind of by women for women designed gym. Um, elite training facility, but it emphasized cardio over heavy lifting and strength um, and conditioning equipment. So I think we can see the ways that even at the elite levels that are some potentially better resourced, um, these sort of taken for granted assumptions about women's bodies and how women should be training are kind of embedded at those levels. And so um, I think part of our task is to kind of identify those assumptions, where they're built in and how we can begin to um, create a more level playing field for women in the sport. And have you guys seen positive signs of a bit of a shift in people's attitudes. Cause I feel like from a media perspective, like I referenced 2019, because it felt like for years, people really trying to find a really linear, um, you know, biological reason to say, oh, it's this. And, you know, it was interesting. Uh, Kate Longhurst is an athlete who plays for West Ham and she's part of our podcast crew. And she was saying, well, you know, if it is related to cycle, I can't miss a match every single time on my period because the WSL season's not very long and I'd miss a hell of a lot of games. So, you know, it's just not realistic. So uh, uh, do you think, 
as a kind of um you know as a culture and in your in your lines of work that we are shifting now to this kind of obsession with finding a biological reason um to expanding it and therefore do you think there is a bit of a positive shift and maybe it will be like a generational thing with the young players coming up that will have the benefits but do you think there is some some positive kind of outlook on these issues i think so yeah. i think just I think just gauged mm -hmm. on the attention that our paper has got, right? It's generated a huge amount of conversation on social media, and we've we've done a lot of interviews, a lot of media interviews, and um, and so that the conversation is there. And I have to say that when we first put the paper out, I was a bit anxious as to the reception it would, <laughs> what kind, of, how it would be received, and whether there would be a bit of a negative um, response. And Overall, absolutely, it has been positive response. It has been, there's, you know, the odd voice that says it's hormones and, and won't talk about anything else. Um, but, you know, 99.9% .9 of the feedback has been positive. And so I think we've started the conversation. Has it actually bled into um, an influence practice yet? I'm not sure. We have uh, we have been cited in a couple of um, important documents. The Australian uh, Football Australia has um, taken some of our ideas and put that into their injury prevention um, documents that are available. And FIFPRO was the other one that um, kind of some of the writing in there was influenced by our work. So there's a little bit of hope. I feel like, but there's a long way to go. Yeah, I'll just add that I think, I mean, soon after the paper came out, we were contacted by sporting organizations um, from England, Australia, and wider Europe, just to have conversations, um, to present at their advisory board meetings, for example. So I think even just planting the seeds and getting these ideas out there, I think there is an appetite. Um, so I think this sort of openness maybe is there. I think the kind of next step, at least, especially for us as academics, is now trying to figure out, okay, how can we um, move this research into, into um, studies that's going to generate um, the practical kind of recommendations that these organizations need. Um, so that's some work that, that we're doing behind the scenes to try to get some new research up and running in partnership uh, potentially with some other organizations. No, that would be great. I mean, we've got a couple of questions as well that, that people on Twitter had sent in. Obviously, it's a very, you know, big topic at the moment. Um, but there were a couple about, um, sort of landing technique. And I know, Joanne, this is a bit more kind of your field. And I know you reference, um, Aussie rules in, I think, in your paper. And, and that's obviously an area where they've had a lot of, um, ACL injuries in the women's uh, game there but someone was was asking is it about a specific technique as well that say in netball or Aussie rules or you know in in some cases football if you're you know jumping up for a header or something is it something that then needs to be tweaked also at a young age is it that you know like the minute technical element or is that actually way too specific and complicated and it's gonna it's such a specific injury prevention that you you just drive yourself insane trying to actually you know conquer it yeah, I would say that um, the majority of the exercise-based prevention programs that have been developed have as a goal to prevent that kind of risky position of the knee. It's kind of this position where someone lands awkwardly from a jump where they don't have a lot of knee flexion, hip flexion, they're quite upright, and then the knee kind of falls in medially, kind of in a knocked knee position. And so those exercise programs have been developed to 
increased strength, first of all, to make sure that the leg and the trunk muscles have the ability to control the body um, and keep out of that position. Um, but also a lot of the programs embed within them specific movement training. So here is how you should land more safely from a jump. So with more flexion um, and soft, a softer landing. I th so I think that is a key th a part of those prevention programs. But I also think that it can't be the only thing we focus on because if girls and women don't have the background strength that they've built up and the movement patterns that they've built up over years before entering elite uh, sport, um, it's going to be much more difficult to decrease their injury risk just by changing the way that they land because they're not going to have that background strength and the, and the balance and that type of thing. And, they, and absolutely research shows that we, if we intervene earlier with these programs, we prevent, uh, we're better off. We prevent more ACL injuries because even though it's happening at the elite level, most ACL injuries happen in girls between about the ages of 13 and 16. So we need to get early, earlier than that even to prevent these injuries from happening. Steph, this one is probably a, a bit more specific to mm -hmm. you, but someone's asked about um, is there any data around pitches and collecting data around where and what on what kind of turf um, people are or women are injuring their ACLs on? Obviously, I think in in England recently we've had you know Beth Mead injuring her, her ACL on the Emirates pitch, which is probably you know one of the best in the country. But I think probably where Jesse referenced on the kind of more amateur level. Do you think that the quality of the pitch and the grass could necessarily impact things? And is that something that, you know, it, the data is potentially collecting to look at? So I, Joanne might actually know the answer to that more than I would. But I also think an interesting thing to think about is women's perception of the safety of the pitch. I remember when, and Joanne, you, correct me if I'm wrong, but when I was living in Canada and we had the Women's World Cup and it was going to be played on artificial turf, people were up in arms about it, right? It was seen as 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 unequal. It was seen as more risky. Um, and the women players felt like they were being disadvantaged. So. I don't know the data on whether or not it is actually a more risky kind of turf, but I think even the perception that the conditions are not the same um, and that it might contribute to risk is also potentially a piece of that puzzle. Joanne, do you know anything about the I turf? I agree, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's certainly not my uh, area of expertise, but yes, there is there is some evidence that shows that um, artificial is uh, can be more risky than natural turf but it's not just the turf either it's that interface between the cleats and the and the turf it's the weather conditions at the time of the of the game is it wet dry um, snowing whatever um, so that is also not a not an easy thing to say that it's just artificial turf that's the problem right um, so yes that is that is another one of those circles that I was describing initially there's that Turf goes in there, boots go in there, um, and then there's arrows connecting them to all the other risk factors as well. Jesse, did you want to jump in? Yeah, I just had a, a question about something Joanne kind of touched on earlier, which is about the sort of growth of the women's game and how we balance it with these ACL injuries. Obviously, as women's football grows in popularity, we are seeing leagues and competitions expanded and then women are playing more football um but there is obviously a balance there with potentially having had 
the kind of um, athletic conditioning that allows you to deal with that high level. And and we've seen obviously in men's football as well, this has kind of been taken to an extreme with what we ask athletes to do. But that being said, I think there is a, a balance in the middle. How do you think we should talk about that stuff without falling into almost a different kind of gendered narrative, which isn't necessarily about women's bodies, but just almost being like, women can't do too much. Um, <laughs> because I feel like that's another thing that now, even though people have started to move away from saying, women get their periods and their knees are a different shape and that's why they get ACLs. And now it's like, women do too much and that's why they get ACL injuries. But that kind of falls into the same category, right? It absolutely does. And the one thing that we haven't touched on today, but we do mention it in our paper as well, is the whole um, gendered expectations and gendered roles outside of sport. So women are more likely to shoulder, for instance, more caregiving responsibilities at home. Um, if women don't make as much money as football players, they may need to get part-time jobs, full-time jobs sometimes. I mean, so there's other factors outside of the sporting environment that will influence fatigue levels and the uh, their uh, resiliency to to injury risk. So I think that plays into it as as well. Um, and that's a whole nother conversation about gendered inequities that needs to be had. Yeah, and I think to follow up on what Jesse said, I think what got announced, I don't know if you guys saw, but FIFA announced a new competition not long after Viviana Miedemar, uh had ruptured her ACL. And, and the conversation, like Jesse said, really moved from uh, physiological to, oh, we're, we're demanding too much, the schedule's too much. But actually, I think in the women's game, we have... I would say the opposite problem where a lot of the times there's on-off football and and the, the players are in England are about to about to next week start the first bit of football that they've played in weeks because they had quite an extended winter break. So I think it's an interesting debate at the moment between now the conversation being like the schedule moving from the physiological maybe to now the scheduling conversation to still maybe not not discussing everything that needs to be discussed. And I don't know if that's the case because people know it's going to require time and money, the ultimate two things that no one wants to hear, hear is the answer to things. Uh, and, you know, just having fewer matches see, maybe seems like a simple solution and then there'll be fewer injuries. But I, I personally don't think that really is, is going to make much of an impact. But Joanne, just quickly, because I know we, we've kept you guys for a while now, but someone was asking about fatigue and travel and recovery and things like that. And obviously the schedule element does come into play. So in your kind of lovely array of circles that you've got um, through through your work, how big would you say that, that fatigue and, and that scheduling and that demand is going to have a factor on the the propensity of these injuries? I, I think it's not insignificant. And the thing that comes to mind for me is that the men's game has been going on for, I actually don't know how long. Too long, a long time. <laughs> yeah, 150 years, I don't know, right? And so the men's game and men's conditioning and their playing um, experiences and environments have gradually built over that time. We need to think that it's not that women can't tolerate it it's that it's just coming too quickly the the progression is um, we're expected to be at the same men's level they've taken 150 years to get there and we've taken 10 years to get there right so i think it's the yeah it's the travel and the fatigue and all that but i also think again that we have to look back and the in the training age and and the resources and things that have set people up 
to uh, withstand those extra stresses or not. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Joanne, Steph, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it because I, I know you're in demand given all the news at the moment. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely put a link to the paper uh, on Twitter and, and in the show notes. And yeah, look forward to, to hearing more and, and hopefully more research as well that you guys do down the line. Thank you so much for having us and, and for your interest in this work. It's really appreciated. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. We wish we were not in demand. That's the thing, right? <laughs> um, we wish there weren't all these ACL injuries happening, but we do appreciate the opportunity to speak to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to that counterpress special. If there's more things you want us to discuss on these little special episodes, do get in touch on Twitter or anywhere else you want to reach out. Instagram, TikTok, you know the vibe. Uh, and we'll catch you all soon.